Okay, I am I am back. Um, and I appreciate, first of all, I just want to say all of your concerned emails and, and tweets um, over the last week and a half. I appreciate all that. You know, I, when I first signed back online, I got, um, you know, checked Twitter and the email and, and uh, there were all these messages from people asking me if I'm okay, if I'm still alive, what happened to me. Um, and uh, I am okay. I'm alive. Although if I wasn't alive, I'm not sure that sending an email, I wouldn't be able to respond to the email to tell you. So I'm not sure logistically it doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, I was just on vacation is all. And now I'm back. And that's the whole story. Uh, well, although I should stipulate, I call it a vacation, but I should say that um, this uh, uh, quote unquote vacation involved about 1,500 miles of driving um, over a week and a half, and which, which wouldn't be so bad. In fact, it would be enjoyable for me. I like driving. If not for the fact that we have two six-year-olds and two and a half-year-old who are also in the car. And I will say that it went about as well as you could possibly expect when you lock three young kids in a, in a suburban for 35 cumulative hours and, and you drive hither and yon with them. It went about as well as it possibly could, which is just another way of saying that it was really miserable. Um, in fact, at the very last leg of our drive, Yesterday, um, the last leg of our last drive, we were almost done, and we were about an hour away from the house. And you know, it was it was, uh, it was around dinner time. We knew we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any food at the house because uh, we'd been we'd been gone. So we stopped at Red Robin uh, for dinner. And I must admit that we were that family in the restaurant that everybody hates. I don't like being that family. I try not to be that family as much as I possibly can. But as parents, we all take our turns being that family. We, you know, if you haven't been that family yet, you will be one day, trust me. And so we were that family yesterday in the restaurant because our, our kids were bouncing off the walls from being, you know, cooped up in a car. My wife and I were exhausted, basically catatonic. And so they're bouncing all over the place. And I mean, the most we could muster was just, please, guys, please, 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 please stop. That's the most we could do. And it just, it wasn't enough. Um, and it gave me flashbacks to uh, vacationing as, as when I was a child. And I remember one occasion spe specifically, well, just in general, I remember how tired my parents always were on vacation. I never understood that, you know. And one time in particular, we were going to King's Dominion on vacation. And, I, you know, I have five brothers and sisters. To this day, I don't understand why my parents, usually very practical and logical people, why they would think to go on vacation to an amusement park with six kids. It still makes me suspect that they were suffering from some, you know, uh, psychotic episode or something. But we got we got to vacation. We got to King's Dominion. We got around the park. We, went, we made it to the hotel. And my dad, the first thing he wanted to do was take a nap. He said, I want to, I'm going to take a nap. And you guys are all just going to hang out. And I was so traumatized by this. I didn't understand what, take a nap? A nap? We're at an amusement. You want to take a nap? What? Uh, but now I get it. I really do. Um, I totally understand it. But now I'm back. Anyway, uh, without a nap, but but I'm here. And well, there's a lot to cover because I, I got to play catch up. Um, and we've got we're going to talk about this Ilhan Omar thing. We're going to talk about Beto's infanticidal fantasies, uh, a lot of other things. But first, before we get to any of that, September is if you weren't aware of this, National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Most people aren't aware of that. So we got to raise awareness of the Awareness Month, first of all. In fact, um, most people aren't even aware that they need life insurance at all. That's why 40% of Americans don't have it. But getting life insurance doesn't need to be 
difficult or expensive, even though you associate it with, with all of that. It doesn't need to be that way. Right now, prices are the lowest they've been in 20 years, and Policy Genius has made it easier than ever to get covered. Policy Genius is the easy way to, to shop for life insurance online in minutes. You can compare quotes from top insurers. Uh, you can find your best price that way. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork, all the red tape. You don't have to worry about that. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy, they also help you with home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance, any kind of insurance you can think of. If you need life insurance, but you haven't gotten around to it yet, this is National Life Insurance Awareness Month, so this is the time to do it. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, and you can apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. All right, actually, I was um, I was going to start with the Omar thing, but I think I'm going to start with this instead. Beto O'Rourke was doing a town hall at the College of Charleston on Monday. And he got a great question, um, a really great question, I, I think, and delivered a not-so-great response. So let's watch this, uh, this question and answer. My question is this. I was born September 8, 1989, and I want to know if you think on September 7, 1989, my life had no value. Of course, I don't think that, and um, of course, I'm glad that you're here. But you you um, referenced my answer in in Ohio, and it remains the same. Th this is a decision that neither you, nor I, nor the United States government should be making. That's a decision for the woman to make. Uh, we want her to have the best possible access to care and to a medical provider and, and I'll tell you the consequence of this this attack on women's right to choose and 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 I, I listened to you and I, and I heard your question I'm answering it um, and and the attack on on Roe versus Wade which we thought was the settled law of the land and unless we had any illusion that the achievements that we've made are protected forever or that progress is inevitable that has been shattered right now okay now first of all as I said that's a, a great question because that's exactly how it should be framed. This is what I've been preaching for years now. What, you know, the way that you frame the question is, okay, you're saying abortion is okay up until birth. So are you telling me that my life, that your life was worthless, had no value a day before birth or a second before birth, a nanosecond before birth? In fact, you know, my wife is 35 weeks pregnant right now, which, by the way, that also made the, the drive really fun because, you know, you have to stop every 32 minutes for bathroom breaks. Um, and uh, so she's th 35 weeks pregnant. Are you telling me that the entity in her womb right now, the, the being in her womb, the, 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 what is a human life, even if you don't want to call it a human life, whatever you want to call it, you're telling me it has no moral worth whatsoever? None? Zero? I mean, it has less moral worth than, than, than like a squirrel. No claim to life, none at all. Well, Beto says, oh, of course, I don't think that. No, 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 no. But then he goes on in the next sentence to reveal that he does, in fact, think that. He says, that's a decision that the woman should make. And what is the decision? This is the important part. This is why I wanted to talk about this. What is the decision? The question was not, should my mom have been allowed to kill me on September, on September 8th, 1989? Of course, the answer to that from Beto's perspective is yes. But uh, 
with that question, it, it is still much easier to give the answer of, that oh, should be the woman's choice. That wasn't the question. The question was, did my life have value on September 8th, 1989? And it was to that question that Beto says, well, that's a decision for the woman to make. So what he's saying, because look, it, it would be possible to argue that, well, the life has value. It is human life. I mean, you could... Or you could argue that it's it's human life. It's even it's a person with value, but it's still okay to kill it. Now, I would disagree with that argument. I think it's a bad argument, but you could try to make the argument that way. Um, but that's not what Beto's doing here. He's saying that it's a decision for the woman to make. What he's saying, quite clearly and explicitly, is that the woman decides the value of a child's life which is even more extreme. That's my point. That to say, well, yeah, all life has value, but sometimes it's okay to kill it. Uh, and and uh, which, in fact, we all, with that general principle, we all agree because uh, we'd say, you know, self-defense is, is okay to kill someone in self-defense. I think we all would agree with that. Um, but those of us with a, with, a, with a proper moral sense, those of us who have well-formed conscience, consciences and, 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 and those of us who can think logically would say that, well, clearly killing a baby, though, is wrong. So what I would say, my, my principle is it is always wrong to intentionally kill an innocent and defenseless human life. Always wrong. In any certain, whether we're talking about abortion or in any other scenario. Um. But you could, you know, you could acknowledge the, the value of the child's life and then try to figure out a way to still make abortion okay. Again, it wouldn't, it's not going to be a good argument. You could try to do it. What, what, what Beno is doing, he's, he's going even more extreme than that. I think this is an even more extreme position he's taking where he's saying, um, well, the, the, the very value of the child's life, it's not just that, well, she can make a decision about what to do with this life that has value. Like, no, she gets to decide whether or not the life even has value in the first place. And that, of course, is what many, what probably most pro-abortion people believe, even if they won't come out and say it. The woman decides the value. So it's not just the woman decides what to do with her body. No, because this is not merely a question about the woman's body. This is a question about what do we do with the body of the child. And Beto says, well, she decides uh, that because she decides whether the baby's body has any value at all. This raises all kinds of follow-up questions. For, you know, the first one being, why does she have that power? Why, why should she have that power? Why should she be the one to determine the actual worth of her child's life? And if she does have that power, does she lose it the moment that she gives birth? If so, why? Again, we're not here talking about her body. We're talking about the the body of the child. What worth does that have? No matter where it's located, what worth does it have? Beto says, well, she decides. If she does, then does, does she still decide even after giving birth to the child? If not, if, if she doesn't, then, then why? And if she doesn't decide the baby's worth after birth, then who does decide the baby's value after birth? Okay, the, the mother decides before, well, who decides after? If you're going to say, oh, no, no, all, all babies that have been born have, uh, of course, uh, incredible worth and value. Says who? Wh where do they get that worth and value from? If, now, if you say, 
and this will be my answer, I would say, well, the, the baby's value is, uh, is inherent. It's objective. It's just part of what they are. Okay, just like nobody decides that liquid water is wet. That's not, we didn't decide that. It just is. That's a, that's a, it's an inherent, it's part of the inherent value of the thing. It's part of its nature. Liquid water is wet. It's part of what it means, what it means to be liquid. Uh, I would say that human life has value. It's what it means to be a human being. But in that case, if it's inherent value, if the baby has inherent objective value after birth, then he has to have it before birth also. Because that's what those words mean. Objective and inherent. Those are not uh, objective inherent worth. By definition, cannot be gained or added after the fact. You either have it or you don't. Okay, so there's never a point, you know, a, a triangle always has three sides. It's not like you could have a, tri- you have a triangle pre-existing and then you add a, a, an additional side to give it three sides. Well, if it didn't have the three sides before, then it wasn't a triangle before. It's part of the inherent nature of it. So you either have it or you don't. If the mother decides the baby's value before birth, then the baby has no inherent value. And then value, by definition in that case, is subjective. But if the baby's, uh, but if, if the baby's worth is subjective before birth, then logically it must be subjective after birth. And if a baby has subjective worth after birth, then it stands to reason that the person or group that gives him that subject, that's what subjective worth is. You know, it's like um, it's like a, a, a money. Okay, money has subjective worth. Money only is you know, I, I pick, I hold up a ten dollar bill. That's only worth something because we decide that it is. If we, if all of us tomorrow in the in in the country decided that ten dollars it doesn't mean anything to us, so we don't care about it. It has no value. It's not worth anything anymore. It only has worth because we have all decided that it has worth. So the worth is really something that happens in our heads. It's not it has nothing to do with that thing. If you're saying that human worth works that way, then that means that the value of people is just decided by sort of the, the general consensus. We all just kind of decide, oh yeah, well, we all sort of like babies, you know, infants, at least the ones that are born are cute, we like them, so they have worth. And if that's the case, which is this, this is the logical progression of Beto's argument, if that's the case, then that means we could rescind that worth. We could all decide, you know, certain babies uh, don't have worth, which is what we do with unborn babies. And, we, and if we could do it there, then we could do it. We could say, well, you know, sick people are kind of a, a strain on the economy. They don't have a lot of worth. The poor people, you know, disabled people, the elderly. You start going down this, this path of eugenics. This is what eugenics is all about. It's all about the idea that human value is subjective. It's decided by society. It's decided by how useful you are to those around you. And if you're not very useful, if people don't really want you around, then we can just get rid of you because you have no objective worth. That's, this is, this is the, the pro-abortion argument. Uh, this is where it leads. And I think Beto, I think Beto uh, revealed that. Okay, before we move on, let's check in with our friends at Proactive. You know, school is finally coming back, but breakouts don't have to. Parents, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could get your kids clear skin confident 
uh, for the new school year because confidence is very important when they're when they're going to school. Uh, you want the kids to feel good, look good. Um, as a parent, nothing is worse than seeing your kids go back to school and knowing they're not feeling their best. They're having all that. There's enough social anxiety, okay? Trust me, when it comes to school, we don't need to add to it. And if there's something causing anxiety that can be solved, then uh, then we should solve it. And that's where America's number one acne brand, Proactive, comes in. They have uh, helped fight acne for almost 25 years now. They're still going strong. Now with their next generation acne treatment system, Proactive MD, you can have your kids going back to school feeling their best. Proactive MD includes a prescription strength retinoid that goes deep into the pores to help prevent acne. Safe and effective. Um, it, there's a three-step system, basically, that will help your teen Get ready for the new school year. There's the deep cleansing face wash, the uh, daily oil control with SPF 30, and then the adipoline gel, which uh, I hope, I'm not a doctor, so I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Right now, for our listeners, uh, we have a back-to-school offer from Proactive that you can't get anywhere else. With your Proactive MD order, you will receive for free Proactive's on-the-go bag, which uh, features their T-Zone oil absorber, body acne wipes, and green tea, uh, green tea moisturizer, which is close to a $100 value, but you're getting all that for the, for free. Plus, on top of that, so you get the free stuff I just mentioned, plus you're getting free shipping, plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. Okay, you're getting all that stuff. But you have to go to proactive.com slash Walsh to get this special offer. Again, go to proactive.com slash Walsh to order and make your kids first day back at school. Uh, the best it could possibly be. All right, let's uh, let's move on to this Ilhan Omar thing. Reading now the report in the Daily Wire, it says Representative Ilhan Omar was accused of having an affair with a married man whom uh, she allegedly uh, funneled large sums of money to through her campaign in divorce documents filed this week. Uh, the New York Post reported Dr. Beth Jordan Minette says her cheating spouse, Tim Minette, told her in April that he was having an affair with the Somali-born U.S. representative, that he even, even made a shocking declaration of love for the Minnesota congresswoman before he ditched her, um, uh, alleges the filing submitted in D.C. Superior Court on Tuesday. Court documents reviewed by the Post said that Tim Minette, 38, and Jordan Minette, 55, separated, um, and then it was revealed that they were in uh, this relationship, so on and so forth. The Post added the 37-year-old congresswoman, and mom of three paid Tim Minette and his E Street group approximately $230,000 through her campaign since 2018 for fundraising, consulting, digital communications, internet advertising, and travel expenses. Investigative, investigative reporters Jordan Satchel and Luke Rosiak both weighed in on the financial disclosures that were made in the report. Um, and, okay, they gave their perspective. So, okay, that's, we don't need to get into, I'm not going to read all the other nitty-gritty details, but you get the idea. Um, so of course we, we reiterate the stipulations that this is all alleged and so forth, but these are claims that are made in court filings. This is not just something that popped up in a gossip rag that you get, you know, in the, in the checkout line at the supermarket. I mean, this is in a, this is in a court filing. So there's real credibility here, whether or not it's true remains to be seen, but there's credibility to these allegations. The payments that were made, the alleged payments alleged payments funneled to her alleged lover's firm, that's a big deal. Um, and that would appear to be the newsworthy item in all of this. Although, you know, by, by the kind of conventional wisdom, that's the newsworthy part, that there's money being, that there's, you know, abuses of campaign funds and so on. That's, that, at least that's the standard view these days. 
that this kind of stuff is only relevant to the public when it involves actual crimes, um, which this would be a crime if it's if it's true that she misused campaign funds and was you know giving money to her lover or whatever. But I you know I I tend to disagree with the standard view. Um, in my opinion, the misuse of money, if that actually happened, that's a big deal. That's you know potentially a crime. As I said, that that's something that should be looked into. That to me is the, is the less serious thing. Okay, it's more serious legally, yeah, but as a voter, as a person, I find the underlying issue, the affair, to be the more serious matter. Now, I was never going to vote for Omar in the first place, so it's not, it's not like I'm going to say, and I don't live in Minnesota anyway, so I'm not saying that she lost my vote because of this, she never had it to begin with. But this, to me, is still a big issue and a relevant issue. Uh, you know, people say, oh, well, this is none of our business. It's just, uh, you know, the, the personal relationships and it's got nothing to do with us. None of our, it's, not, it's not relevant. doesn't matter. Um, now, I agree that it's none of our business. But now that we know, um, now that it's been reported, now that it's been alleged anyway, you can't help but draw tentative conclusions. I think having an affair... Uh, betraying your own spouse, destroying another marriage, breaking two vows simultaneously, all of that to get your kicks sexually. I think that says a lot about you as a person. You know, I think that reveals something significant about you. Uh, This idea that it says nothing to us as voters and we shouldn't pay attention to it. What? I mean, you're telling me that this is not a reflection of a person's character? What it says, first and foremost, is that you can't be trusted. And, and that's why I never understand the people who say that the sexual affairs of politicians shouldn't matter to us. How so? Don't we elect politicians on the basis of the promises they make to us? I mean, aren't you electing them because they've said they're going to do certain things and you want them to do those things and so you elect them for it? I mean, you're either electing them for that or just based on the letter next to their name or because you like their personality. If it's either of those two options, then you're a moron, frankly. Um, if you're you know, a, a rational person, then you're electing them because they've said they're going to do things and you want them to do those things they said they're going to do. Now, if you're also a rational person, you know that you know, there's, a, there's a not small chance that they won't really do those things because politicians lie. So it's very relevant. You know, we need to, they make the promises. Now we need to assess... What's the likelihood that they're actually going to follow through on those things? Is they're going to keep their promises? You can never get to 100% certainty, but I think there are certain things, and that's where the character comes in. Now you're assessing their character, and you can't do it perfectly. You don't know everything about them. You can't look inside their head, but you just look at their character, and you think, okay, is it, does it seem likely that this is the kind of person whose word is their bond and we can trust them, or is it, does it seem more likely that they're a liar and a cheat and a fraud? You know, that, that's, a, that's the calculation we have to make. And I think if a person is out having affairs, then that would seem to indicate that they are a liar, a cheat, and a fraud, which would seem to indicate that we can't trust them. Um, you know, if we elect them based on promises, it, it does matter whether they keep their promises, right? And doesn't a person's willingness to betray the most important promise they ever made have a bearing on whether they might keep less important promises. The promises that a politician makes to you as a voter, as a faceless voter in the crowd, they don't even know you, don't know who you are. 
They make a promise about they're going to they support this policy. They're going to do this and that thing. Those are important promises. And, you know, but they're not as important as a marriage vow. And you are not important to them at all. They don't even know you. But when you get married, your spouse is the most important person in your life. The promise you make to them is the most important promise you, you will ever make to anyone, ever. If you're willing to break that promise, then why would I have any confidence that you're going to keep the less important promises that you make to faceless people you don't even know? I mean, if you're willing to, I mean, think about what in a what an affair does to the other, to the jilted spouse, to the to the to the person being betrayed. I mean, think about what a, people people kill themselves over stuff like this. This is the, people. This is just devils. This this is the kind of thing that ruins a person's life. You know, you get married to someone, you think you can trust them, they go off and cheat on you. You don't get over that the next day. That's the kind of thing that will take you decades to, if you ever get over it. It's, it's, this is like, it's just, you are, and if you're willing to do that to your spouse, to just utterly ruin them, to destroy them, and, and, and while you're doing that, you, you know, you come home every night and you look them in the eyes while you know what you're doing to them. And you also know, because you can't claim you don't, eventually they're going to find out because people always find out. And when they do, it will ruin them. And you know that, and you're doing it anyway. So if you're willing to do that to this person who you know intimately and you claim to love and whose eyes you have gazed into, why would I ever believe that you would be unwilling to betray a promise to me? I'm nobody. You don't even know me. I mean, when you lie to me, you just look in a camera and do it. That's easy to do. So this whole thing, ah, it doesn't matter. What do you mean? It of course it matters. It obviously matters. There's a general principle here that liars lie, cheaters cheat. Okay, it, it, that's it. Um, now, you know, everyone's told lies in their life. In their life, everyone's probably cheated on things. Hopefully you haven't cheated on your marriage, but uh, maybe you've cheated in a, in a you know, board game or something. I mean, we've, or, or on a test you know, uh, when you were a kid. I can't claim to be innocent in that regard. Um, but there are people who are just liars. You know, and a, a liar is someone who just lies all the time. Just constantly, constantly lies. Almost like it's their default setting. If you're having an affair, then you're going to be a liar. Just that's what you want. You have to be. Because of all the lies you have to tell to keep that going. And um, uh, so liars lie, cheaters cheat. If I know that someone's a liar and a cheater, then that means that they're going to lie and cheat, which means why the hell would I vote for them? I, like, why would I, on what basis could I ever come to the conclusion that I could trust them? I mean, it's, it's, it's like if you, you know, if you find out that your um, financial manager has in the past been to jail for, you know, swindling people with Ponzi schemes. Are you going to trust them with your money? They've shown you that they're willing to take people's money and defraud them in these elaborate schemes. They've shown you that. Why would you, of all people, why would you trust them with your money? At least take someone who maybe there's a chance they won't do that because as far as you know, they haven't done it before. But if they've, if they've shown you that, that this is what they do, you're a total, you deserve to lose your money if you invest in them. And what I say is if you're a voter voting for people who have shown themselves to be liars and cheats, 
then you deserve to be betrayed as a voter. You deserve it. I mean, you are literally asking for, I am victim blaming right now when it comes to that. But if we take this view, if we take this approach, then of course we have to apply it equally across the board, regardless of party. I, you know, I, I, I acknowledge that. If we say that the affairs of politicians do tell us something relevant about them, then we can't suddenly put that insight to the side when our favorite politician has an affair. Um, you know, what I'm saying here about affairs and, and their relevance, it's either true or it isn't. And if it's true, then it's true. And uh, I think it's true. And I do apply it equally. Um, if someone has an affair, in my view, it means they can't be trusted. Um, it means they're a liar and a cheat. Now, could there be a scenario where you, where it, it, it could be uh, rational and justified to vote for someone even knowing that they're a liar and a cheat and knowing that they're lying, you, lying to you and will probably cheat you in some respect? You know, maybe, um, depending on the circumstances. But, but you, you can't pretend that this is, that, you know, in this one, well, in this case over here, yeah, this person did that, but they're really a great person. But over here, no, that person's a total scout. You can't do that. You just can't. So it's, but this is what everyone does. You know, if, if the affair is happening, this is a classic thing in politics. If the affair is happening um, with someone in the opposite party, then you'll agree with everything I'm saying right now because, because it is obviously true. But then if it's your party, you say, well, you know what, maybe it's actually just their business and we should stay out of it. Can't do that. All right. Uh, so moving on, this is actually the very first thing I saw when I came back to Twitter, um, which just made me even more sad that I had to come back. And can I just say, as a side note, in, in my experience, with social media, there's, I'm not going to call it an, ad, an addiction because I think addiction is, an, as I've talked about before, it is an overused term. Uh, and, but it is a compulsion. It's definitely a compulsion. And I have it. And when I'm going through my day-to-day routine and I'm live, just living my life normally, I definitely have the compulsion you know, to pick up the phone and check Twitter, check social media in like every five and a half seconds. It's just, it's a real, I just, I, it, I didn't even notice myself doing it. It's like a reflex, right? Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. But the weird thing is that, and this is what makes it not an addiction in my mind, one of the things, is that when I, when I step away from, when I go on vacation, you know, I put the phone down, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even tempted to look at it. You know, I go a week, I don't look at Twitter, I, I don't miss it, I don't have any urge to look at it. In fact, I'm, I'm disgusted by the thought of it. And the first time I pick it up again after getting back, I'm, I'm just bored by it. It just seems so stupid and frivolous and irrelevant and everything everyone's talking about is just so dumb and boring and everyone's just saying the same things over and over again. And you think, why, why are we even doing this? It's such a waste of time. You know, I just spent the last week, I was out, you know, if I had free time, I went out on the, on a lake, I went fishing. Why, why don't I do that instead? Why am I doing this? Um, so it's this weird compulsion that when you're in it, it's, it, it, it's very strong and it compels you, but if it's, it fades so quickly. If you just put the phone down for like a day, the compulsion's gone. You have no desire to pick it up anymore. Most addictions, and this is why I say it's not, most addictions are not like that. 
With an addiction, it's really hard to step away from it. And when you do, there's withdrawal and you're really hankering for it. And then it's really easy to pick it back up again. But with this, with social media, because it's my job, I literally have to do it uh, as a job. So it, for me to get back into Twitter and everything was really, a, it was like a chore. I really didn't want to do it. Um, but once you get over that hurdle, now you're back in it and it's a compulsion again. So anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah. Uh, so I came back to Twitter and I see Kamala Harris tweeting about a performance at the VMAs on Sunday. Uh, some other candidates were tweeting about it too. I think Gillibrand probably tweeted about it. I, I don't know that, but I assume because of her penchant for pandering, I assume she jumped on this one. Um, and the performance was by a woman named Lizzo. Kamala Harris says that it's colorful, vibrant, joyful, unapologetic, powerful. How could you not love Lizzo? Well, how could you not love it? Let's take a look at this performance to find out how we might manage to not love it. Let's try to answer Kamala Harris's question. Here's the uh, some of the performance from Lizzo. Why me and Greater, they gotta be great. Woo! I just took a DNA test, turns out I'm 100%. That even when I'm crying crazy, yeah, I got boy problems, that's the human in me. Bling, bling, then I solve them, that's the goddess. You could have had a bad not the middle. Yes, that was a giant jiggling butt on the stage. In the, I'm talking about the, in the background. I'm talking about the one in the in the background. Um, and those dancers were wearing assless chaps. Um, and it looked. Now I say this. I'm. I know with that kind of stuff, it's like they're trying to shock. Oh, it's it's so shocking and edgy. No, I'm not shocked by it. I don't find it edgy. I, I find it incredibly boring. Oh, look, it's a bunch of butts. I mean, that really, that's the best you can do? You want to shock me? That's the best you can do? I mean, you, you, you got to work a lot harder than that these days to shock people. No, that's just boring. It's like, come on. That, this is why, I mean, you're at the VMAs and you're flashing butts. I mean, that's like, how many, how many, you know how many butts have been flashing at the VMAs? That's, that's the whole thing. It's all they do. It's, it's the butt flashing awards, basically. I mean, you want to be edgy. Uh, yeah, th- that's that's not how I would do it. But it, it but it is it is it's not shocking or edgy. Uh, I want to make that clear. But it is it's boring and it's very very stupid. Um, it is certainly very very stupid. It, it's like something out of the movie Idiocracy. In fact, it would be too on the nose for Idiocracy. If they had shown a vision of the VMAs in 500 years in the future, which I wish they had done actually in the, in the movie Idiocracy, and they had shown that exact performance with a bunch of dancers and assless chaps dancing in front of a giant jiggling butt, I I would have probably not even laughed because I would have said, okay, that's a little too, I mean, we get it. It's a movie called Idiocracy, but that's a little too idiotic. Let's, I mean, come on now, come on. But um, too stupid for a movie called Idiocracy, but it is not too stupid for reality. And that is what just happened. Um, I'm 
you know, I'm watching that. I'm just trying to find, and, and then, I, so I tweeted about this, as a, speaking of Twitter, getting back into Twitter. Uh, this is the first thing that I, <laughs> I come back to Twitter. It's the first thing, a week and a half away. The very first thing I'm talking about is a giant jiggling butt, uh, which I think is very appropriate, actually, for Twitter. So, and, 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 you know, I said, whatever, this is stupid. And there were a lot of people saying, no, this Lizzo is great and it's powerful. And where is the powerful part of this incoherent, ridiculous, mind-numbing idiocy? Unapologetic, maybe. Uh, any moron can be unapologetic. There's nothing impressive about that. But what's powerful about this? Here, let, let's review some of the lyrics. Just to, just to you know, because I'm, look, Kamala Harris and, and others say this is a powerful, compelling, beautiful song. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm looking for it. You, now you tell me if you, if you, if you notice the powerful, beautiful stuff, just jump in and let me know, even though I won't be able to hear you. Uh, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm a hundred percent that B even when I'm crying crazy. Yeah. I got boy problems. That's the human in me. Bling, bling. Then I solve them. That's the goddess in me. You could have had a bad B non-committal help you with your career just a little. You're supposed to hold me down, but you're holding me back. And that's the sound of me not calling you back. Why men great till they gotta be great? What? Why men great till they gotta be great? That, that just doesn't mean anything. I'm sorry. That that's really just means nothing. Those are just words. That is just dumping words onto a page. Like you have words in a bucket and you just dump them onto a page. That's what that is. Those are not why men great till they got to be great. My two-year-old could put together a more coherent sentence than that. Uh, Don't text me. Tell straight to my face. Best friend sat me down in the salon chair. Shampoo press. Get you out of my hair. Fresh photos with the bomb lighting. New man on the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. I I mean, I'm like... I'm going to hit you back in a minute. I don't play tag. I bin it. We don't F with lies. We don't do goodbyes. We just keep it pushing like I, I, I. I'm going to hit you back in a minute. You know, I, I, don't, I don't see the powerful. What part of that is powerful? I, don't, I just don't see it. Maybe it's me. Okay. It could be that I'm the problem. I just, maybe I don't, maybe this is so brilliant. This is so smart that I'm too dumb to get it. I, that's possible. I am a pretty stupid person. I admit that. So it's you know it's one way or another. Either I am not stupid enough for this, or I'm way too stupid for it. I don't know which it is. I suspect it's probably the the former. Uh, I feel the same way about this as I do about the. Um, I mean, speaking about our drive, the, 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 when we were on the drive, just to make matters worse, my wife at one point put on a Taylor Swift song. Um, and it's the one that you'll never find a lover like me, that song. A song with actual lyrics that say, this is actual lyrics in the song. This, the, the song says, and I think this is part of the chorus, says, you can't spell awesome without me. I mean, literally lyrics that would be too vapid, corny, self-absorbed, and stupid for a fourth grader. Okay, if I had a fourth grader who wrote a song for the talent show, and it included the lyrics, you can't spell awesome without me, I would ground them and forbid them from going to the talent show. I would say, how dare you? This is so stupid. I am, I am ashamed that you are my child. I would disown them for lyrics. I would. Literally. 
And it's the same with this, okay? It's, it's not saying anything. There's no point to it. I'm not saying that every song has to be brilliant and has to have some overarching, brilliant, mind-blowing point. Um, but the only point of the song is just, look at me, I'm great. But then it doesn't even explain why. Okay, here's my problem. If you're going to actually write a song about how great you are, which is a really gross and pitiful subject for a song, of all the things to talk about, of all the subjects to sing about in the world, I mean, for you to choose that just shows that there is nothing going on upstairs. You are such a shallow person. You, 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 just, you, you have never looked outside of your... All your, your eyeballs are basically turned around in your head and staring back into your own... The, the cavity where your brain is supposed to be. You have never... If you would just look outside of yourself and look at the world for five seconds, you would find a, a hundred subjects for a, for a, for a song. But the only thing you think to think about, think to sing about is yourself and how great you are. But if you're gonna do that, at least explain why. I mean, talk about give us reasons, give us real reasons for maybe you are great. Lizzo says she's a goddess. Okay, maybe she is. You know, seeing her dancing in front of the jiggling butt, that to me, that doesn't quite communicate it, but it's, it doesn't mean she's not a goddess. I can't, that's that's a claim that you have made. You're saying, I'm a goddess. Okay, give me evidence. Tell me some great things you've done. Do you return your shopping carts? Okay. Do you have you ever do you do you try to give exact change when you're when you're you know checking out at, at CVS? I mean, are these things that you do? Um, but we we get nothing like it. We had no evidence. It's just all we get is just the repeated assertion. I'm great. I'm great. I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. I mean, she says, we just keep it pushing like I, I, I. Is that reason she's so great? I don't know what that means. Is, you know, if, you, if a person who keeps it pushing like I, 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 is, does that mean that they're great? Is that, a, is that a, a virtuous achievement? I don't even know what it is. Can anyone explain that to me? What does it mean to keep it pushing like I, I mean, if someone said that to you, if I went up to someone and said, oh, what, you know, what have you been up to today? Oh, I was just keeping it pushing like I, I, I. You know, that's all. What would that be? I mean, what does that mean that they were, anyway. Um, this is just, this is just babbling. And this is every song these days. I hate to say, I hate to be this guy. I hate to sound like this, but it, and it's every song I'm, it's hyperbolic. There are some, there are, there are legitimately great artists out there, but this seems like every pop song anyway, all the popular songs, most of them, it's just, I'm great. I'm so amazing. I'm so awesome. I'm just the best. Look at me. I'm just so amazingly wonderful. Yet there is no evidence ever presented. We are never given any reason to believe that any of these people are even half as wonderful as they claim. And the very fact that they're claiming it in the first place is already compelling evidence that they are the opposite of great and awesome. It's actually evidence that they are losers desperate for attention and affirmation. So this whole thing, and this is what gets me too about uh, Lizzo and, you know, we're told, oh, she's, she's, a, she's so confident, she's confident, she's all about self-confidence. This isn't what confident people do. If you're really confident, you don't get up on a stage, take your clothes off, shake around and say, I'm so great. Look at me. That's not what confident people do. Okay. That's what psychotics do. And that's what losers who are utterly desperate for affirmation do. Those are the two kinds of people who do that. There are no other kinds of people who do it. A confident person, you know what a confident person does? They keep their clothes on. They live their life with quiet dignity. And they just, 
they're confident in themselves. They know who they are. They know they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They know that they have flaws, that they're not perfect. They would never call themselves a god or a goddess for God's sake. But, uh, th- but they, they, they generally, you know, they, they're on the right path and they know it. And so they just walk that path. And they don't call attention to it. And if they were ever going to write a song because they have musical ability, it, it would be a song about, you know, the ocean or about, about uh, you know, anything, about love, about, about, about uh, humpback whales. I mean, really any, any subject. They would write a song on any subject aside from how great they are. They wouldn't, it wouldn't even occur to them to write a subject, a, a song about that because they don't spend time thinking about themselves and their own greatness. So um, that's all to say that I think that's a really bad song, just to summarize. And uh, I think we'll leave it there. I was going to do some emails today, but I have so many emails, which I appreciate, by the way, I do appreciate, but I've got to sort through them, um, and that might take me a couple of days. But we'll get back to answering listener emails, too, as well, soon enough. I don't know why I'm holding my hands like this at the end of the show, just ending with a prayer, I suppose. Um, But we'll leave it there, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Robert Sterling, associate producer Alexia Garcia Del Rio, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Donovan Fowler. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. If you prefer facts over feelings, if you aren't offended by the brutal truth, if you can still laugh at the nuttiness filling our national news cycle, well, tune on in to The Ben Shapiro Show, where you'll get a whole lot of that and much more. We'll see you there. Mm-hmm. 